There's a yesod in Chinuch I want to talk about today. Maybe a new perspective. And that is, we know that there are three partners in a child. The two parents and Hashem. The partners collectively provide for the physical body of the child and Hashem gives him his neshama. That is an amazing thing. And that is, how do we look at the child? Does a person look at a child as his? Or at least a part his, because he's a part in his development? Or really, is the way we look at children, that being as a Kaddish Baruch Hu's third, so to speak, is not just a third. He's one of the three partners. But the entire life, and all the person's talents, abilities come from Hashem. So that's the case. He's the major partner. What I mean by that is if that's the case, the way to look at the child is this is Hashem's child. Primarily. Hashem's child or the child Hashem sent down to do a certain job. That's just the first point. Because if we look at children as ours, so part of that is, what do you want to, how do you want to deal with them, so to speak? Bring them up. That would be our choice. But if we're looking at a child as Hashem's child, then what's our role as parents? This part is well known. The answer would be, our role in parents is responsible for the nisham which has been entrusted into our safekeeping to look after it, to protect it, to ready it for its role in life. But to say it in the terms of the children, Hashem child which is given to us, so to speak, as a picodon. Then it's our job to guard that picodon. To train him or her, to direct him or her, and to ensure that one day he or she will become an evolution. And when we've completed our job and our children become, so to speak, self-responsible, self-reliant, when we've completed the responsibility which was given to us as a nifgod, as someone to whom the shama had been entrusted, who does Hashem choose? There's somebody to whom he's willing to rely on with such a valuable Commodity is in Hashem. Who is somebody who's worthy of being chosen, so to speak, as someone who can be given in the Shama to for safekeeping? And the answer is a person who is das. A person who is responsible and understanding that he can be relied upon, so to speak. 
to look after the neshama. Without upon to bring it up the way, bring the child up the way Hashem wants. And just at this point, I'm going to digress for a minute. There's an unbelievable understanding over here, and that is, we know that a boy becomes chayiv in mitzvahs when he turns 13, a girl when she turns 12. Before that, they're not responsible to keep the Torah. The commands of the Torah aren't speaking to them. Once they reach the age of 13 for a boy or 12 for a girl, then they now become obligated to keep the Torah mitzvahs. What happens? So we say, a cotton doesn't have dice. An adult does. And therefore, as long as they were tiny, they didn't, weren't considered B'nai Das, so the Torah wasn't speaking to them. Now that they get him and they have Das, the Torah does talk to them. Where do we see this? Where's the Makar? Where's the source? That is, at 12 or at 13, respectively, a person gains Das. Where do we see that there's, this is the age? And the answer is, there isn't a Makar. There's a Makar for something else. The Gemara tells us that from the age of 13, for a boy, he can father a child. From the age of 12, a girl can become a mother. So what's the connection? Because it's the age of physical maturity, of the ability to be a parent, why does that become the age that they have mitzvahs? And the answer is, it's the same principle. When we see Hashem is willing to entrust the Neshama to somebody, it means Hashem considers that person to be a Ben Das. Hashem considers that person to be somebody who can be trusted. Somebody who can be reliable. And therefore, the fact that that person can be entrusted with the Neshama, means that they're halakhically considered reliable. If they have enough das for that, then they have enough das to keep the Torah in the mitzvahs too. And therefore, the same age, when a person can become a parent, is the age when Hashem considers them a ben das. This isn't tamavot. If we take this a step further, there's a famous principle of Rav Chaim Briska, and that is the age of maturity of 12 and 13, was said for Jews, was said for Kali Israel. It doesn't necessarily apply to Goyim. And based on this understanding, we can explain that the concept of a holy neshama, which is entrusted to the parents, is only by a Jewish child. That's something which wasn't given to non-Jews. And if that's the case, by them it wouldn't be a proof that the Asia can have children is the age when they achieve das. That's just by the way. So we see a primary part of our responsibility as parents is the fact that we've been entrusted with Hashem's children to look after, to train, and to bring up the way Hashem wants them to be brought up. But there's something even deeper here. 
we don't, when we spoke about Emunah, that the Emunah in person always has the reliance that my Neshama has been entrusted into Hashem's hands. And He's reliable to return it to me. Every night when a person goes to sleep and he says, Hashem, biyotcha afkid ruchi. I'm entrusting my ruach, my spirit, my soul to you for safekeeping, Hashem. But do you say, so you will redeem me. Why? Because I know that I have a munna. I'm relying on a Kaddish Baruch Hu, so to speak, to look after my Neshama for me. And when Hashem does return on Neshama in the morning, then we say, Shechazayt of your Nishmasi, Bechem on your kindness, you return my Neshama to me, Rabbi Munasecha. Basically, I could trust you. I could rely on you. And that's something every person needs to do. He has to be willing to understand that I'm entrusting my neshama to Hashem for safekeeping. And I'm relying on Him to do the job. And of course, Hashem is trustworthy. But here the amazing point is there's a middle connected middle as well. And that is, in exactly the same way, Hashem is willing to entrust the Shamas to people for safekeeping. When Hashem gives a couple a baby, He's giving them a neshama. And He's relying on them to bring it up the way He wants. He's giving it to them to look after, to protect, to nourish, to develop, and to produce the Ben Abbas Yisrael that Hashem wants that neshama to be. We entrust our neshamas to Hashem and rely on Him to protect them for us. And in exactly the same way, Hashem is willing to entrust neshamas to people and rely on them, so to speak, to look after them, be a good custodian for Him. And therefore, part of the responsibility we have as parents to understand the importance of what we're doing. We're looking after the neshamas that Hashem has put into our so to speak, authority, into our care, into our homes. And we entrust with the job of bringing them up and returning them to our Chodesh Baruch Hu. as adults with proud links in the chain of Kal Yisrael. I want to suggest, with this understanding, which is so much of an imperative background to understand the Chinuch, we can also understand a very puzzling dialogue in the Torah. We see the brothers come back from their first journey to Egypt and Shimon's not with them. What happened to Shimon? He's been incarcerated in Yosef's jail. The brothers come back at the request. The man refuses to see us again unless we bring Binyamin. Now, the way the brothers see it, they have no option. They're going to need more food. They're going to go. They're going to have to go back to Egypt to buy more. And if that's the case, they're going to have to bring Binyamin. But Yaakov's not interested. Yaakov absolutely refuses to have Binyamin go. So the Pasuk says that Ruvain, as the elder, speaks up. 
He says to Yaakov, you can kill my two sons if I don't bring Benjamin back to you. And Yaakov says, I'm not interested, he's not going. Rashi adds, is it more from Chazal? Rashi says, he called Benjamin, why would I want to kill your children? Okay, so they wait until there's no longer food. And this time you heard us speak, up. We need to go down to buy more food. Or we need to take Binyamin. And again Yaakov refuses. And you heard us ask to him, send him with me, I'll take responsibility. And if I don't bring him back, so this week I'll forfeit my, part, my portion of Olam Abba. And this time Yaakov agrees. And the question which begs us to answer, what's the difference? If both Reuben and Yehuda were trying to show how seriously they took it, so what is that different about Reuben's effort, so to speak, to lose his own children, or Yehuda's effort to lose his own Abba? And if the response is going to be that, why would I want that to happen to you? So just like Yaakov wouldn't want Reuben's sons to get killed, he also wouldn't want Yehuda to lose Olam Abba. So what's the difference? So much so that it seems from reading the Ramban, the only difference was the timing. Yehuda said, wait until there's no longer food, and then he's going to have to agree. Because otherwise we'll all go hungry. Not because he gave a better argument. And therefore when Yaakov was pushed against the wall, he's going to eat. Now he has to let Binyamin go because he doesn't have another option. That's what appears from the Rabbi. But I'd like to suggest another interpretation as well. Based on one more principle. And that is, from the brother's point of view it was clear. They need food, they have to take Binyamin. Yaakov doesn't want to let Binyamin go. And Yaakov explains himself. I've lost Yosef. Binyamin is the last one left in the family of Rachel. If something happens to Binyamin, there will be nobody left. Rachel died. Yosef, as far as he was concerned, had died. And what's going to happen to Binyamin? Now, how are the brothers going to convince their father, Yaakov, to let Binyamin go? So the first point has to be that they're going to show that it's not just a, like a casual decision. Yeah, of course, we'll have to go back. This can you come to. The first point they're going to have to show is the seriousness with which they're going to look after Binyamin. Because that's how seriously Yaakov's looking at it. And if that's the case, they're going to say, yeah, it's not a big deal. What's up? Why are you obstructing us, so to speak. That's just like when you're going to get it over with. Yaakov's going to, of course, object. You're not going to take care of him. He's going to have to what happened to him. If that's the case, for sure, he's not going to Yaakov go. Yaakov won't let him go. But the way the brothers understood, was if they can show Yaakov, yes, we understand it's serious. Yes, we understand it's something which we need to be very aware of. Then maybe he would consider them reliable enough to let them take Minyamin. And therefore, Reuben attempted first. And he said, I'm not looking lightly at what it means to lose a child. I understand that there's a tremendous tie that the brothers all witnessed to, that Yaakov had on losing Yosef. 
how much Yaakov was considered a tremendous tsar if Chas Vashem's what happened to Binyamin? Reuven says, I can appreciate the tsar. What are you talking about? I'm willing to show you how seriously I take the fact that I'll take responsibility for Binyamin. In the sense that I'm willing to, so to speak, offer the two children as well. The, the same Tsar Yaakov you had on losing Yosef and would have on losing Binyamin, the loss of two children, I'm willing to accept that same Tsar. That's how seriously I'm going to take my responsibility to look after Binyamin. But Yaakov isn't interested. And the reason is because that wasn't the real cause of Yaakov's tsar. It wasn't the loss of children. It's a tremendous tsar. No doubt. But Yaakov was a Baal like no one else. And if Hashem would decree that he would lose a child, then Yaakov would be able to accept that tsar. And therefore we have to understand there was a different factor which caused Yaakov the tire. There was a different factor which was preventing Yaakov from letting Binyamin go. And what was that? And that is, to a certain extent, Yaakov felt responsible for what happened to Yosef. Firstly, Yaakov knew of the hatred of the brothers, the jealousy of the brothers for Yosef, and he did nothing to stop it. As the Gemara says, that he had shown favoritism to Yosef by giving him the Ksenus passing the cloak, which was a st- like a rank above what he gave these others, children. And that just fermented the bad feeling against Yosef. So Yaakov felt somewhat responsible. More than that, Yaakov was the one who had sent Yosef to Shechem to check about the welfare of the brothers. And then from there he had disappeared. The mission bird even brings Nirosim Kepa, he brings from the Akhrainim that if somebody would send a shliach as a job, as a messenger, and the shliach gets killed on the way, the Mishalech needs to do Trevor. So Yaakov's tsar wasn't just the fact that Yosef seemingly had died. Yaakov's tsar was from the fact that he felt to some extent he was responsible for that. And that's a tremendous star. That's what we're talking about. Yaakov had a responsibility, so to speak, to, the, to look, bring up the shift taker, to create Klai Yisrael. And if in some way he had felt that he hadn't fulfilled the responsibility that HaKadosh Baruch had given him, then that caused him to mourn for 22 years. Chazal said it in their way, that Yaakov said that he understood that if all his sons would outlive him. He would be given the Chayek Nguyen He had fulfilled his tafkid of creating Klai Yisrael. But now that Yosef was gone, to some extent Yaakov felt he had fallen short of the responsibility which was placed on him. How had he allowed Yosef to go? And without protection. How had he allowed him to enter a hostile territory where his brothers were? And therefore Yaakov wanted to make up for that. By being over careful with Binyamin. Uh, maybe he had felt that in some way he was guilty, but not fulfilling 
to the utmost his responsibility to Binyamin, to Yosef. And therefore he's going to do much more to be vigilant on Binyamin. He's not going to let Binyamin go to a place of danger where something might happen to Binyamin. And then it, once again Yaakov would be held to task why he hadn't done enough, so to speak, to safeguard Binyamin. Now than the sham which Hashem had given him. And that's the reason for Yaakov's reluctance to send Binyamin. And that's the reason why Yaakov felt the Tsar for so many years of the disappearance of Yosef. And the way to speak to him was different. And that's what Yehuda told him. He said, give me Binyamin. I'll take control. I'll take responsibility. How seriously do I take my Achrayis to Binyamin? That if I don't bring him back, I'll lose my Chalik and Lanamabah. And that's something which spoke to Yaakov. Because that's exactly what he also felt. That my responsibility is something that if I don't fulfill it, I'm going to lose my chalik and And that's how when he felt Yehuda was reliable enough, that for the same reason, Yehuda would go the extra mile. Yehuda would extend himself to protect Binyamin. Because otherwise, he's risking his chalik and Yaakov was prepared to let Binyamin go with him. I think it's a beautiful explanation of the Torah. But it's also a tremendous mechaif for us. And that is, part of responsibility to children, part of responsibility to Hashem, with the children is entrusted to us. It's for sure the chinuch we give them. For sure the education we give them. The way we bring them up. The values we instill, the middles we try to work with and better, the direction we try to set. But there's more than that also. Just like Yaakov felt responsible physically for Yosef's well being and Binyam's well being, it's part of our responsibility too to protect our children, to look after them, to ensure that they grow up safe and healthy. It's part of our responsibility to Hashem. And it's part of the way we justify, so to speak, Hashem's reliance in us by giving us the opportunity and the responsibility to be Megadu, to grow and to look after His service.